Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. Today we discuss about hidden content, how you can create content, and can you hide or not? We will know if you listen to the entire episode. I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Dan Petrovich. How are you? I am very good. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing great. What I like on internet that, you know, for example, I have evening, you have morning, so, but we can unite to share uh, more value. And by the way, we have Nick. Yeah, she's joining us. Uh, so yeah, we, we can learn more about uh, hidden content, you know, from two great experts. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, uh, and why you decided to share with us about hidden content. Well, um, I'm Dan Petrovich. Um, I'm the founder and managing director of uh, Dejan Marketing. I've uh, been doing it, doing SEO for 20 years. I've seen all sorts of things, and uh, <laughs> very few things are new and interesting to me these days. Uh, most things that pop up, seen it before, old news. Um, but there are there are some things that have changed recently about hidden content that I'm um, happy to um, share with you today. And uh, you'll be, you'll be pleased to know that I have not even tweeted about this. So it's mm-hmm. like completely brand new, completely brand new knowledge. Now, um, if we if we go um, historically, I started investigating the um, new types of hidden content um, ten years ago, two thousand twelve. Um, in December two thousand twelve, I wrote an article called "Google Ignores Hidden Content, Including Tabs." So we're not talking about um, classic black hat hidden content where you just uh, uh, Z minus everything to the side of the page, 999 uh, pixels. Um, we're talking about the good intentioned hidden content, tabs, accordion, uh, user interface uh, stuff, yeah? And I think, I think about 10 years ago, um, 2012, is when it all started becoming a bit more mainstream. Tabs were becoming more common, accordions were becoming more common, but Google still didn't have a good idea how to handle handle on that. And and of course, back then, mobile first wasn't a thing. Uh, mm. Ten years ago, not everyone was holding their phone in their hand as a first thing. Um, now that that has changed around, and Google has since changed the narrative. They've said, no, it's fine to hide content because it's good user experience and we'll index the website um, as a mobile mobile first. We'll look at how it renders on a mobile device and then that's how we'll judge it in the rankings. But um, since then, since 2012 and, and perhaps last year, I've been observing again and again and again and it keeps coming up in SEO discussions. Every time you hide content, it doesn't perform as well as the website that um, shares it without hiding to the point where if you have two websites, one is of a high authority and hides the content, a scraper website of very low authority takes that content away from them and shows it by default. The scraper will outrank the authority side just because it's shown is visible. Um, so 
that was the first the first uh, article I wrote uh, ten years ago, and then we've had one in 2015 when I did an experiment. Uh, it was called um, "Can Hidden Content Rank Well?" and that's when I first announced the problem um, to the world. Then after that, um, in June, so this was a, a, a March article, and in June I wrote an article. Here's why nobody reads your content, where um, I explained that people don't really read anything online. They kind of um, scan the page. They look for little answers, bullet points, bolded words. And users love accordions and they love tabs because it structures the data. It's a good thing. So then I realized, well, okay, we've got a problem. Users love hidden content when it's done right. And then you, Google doesn't reward it. Um, we've got a problem. And then I have an ethical obligation to advise my clients what to do. And I'm saying to my clients, well, to do the right thing by users, you have to um, structure the content and sometimes hide it because it's good user experience. But to do the right thing by Google, you have to reveal the content to be fully visible. So there's a conflicting advice. And I've, I've always chosen um, to advise everyone, if it's important, don't hide it display that content. Anything that's boilerplate, repetitive, that is not of no value, that can be tucked away behind accordions and tabs. Now, going chronologically, um, then I published um, another piece called User Behavior Data as a Ranking Signal. So this was an article I published in August 2015 on Moz. Mm -hmm. And um, then what I did is that article had a little bit of an innovation um, element in it. Because what it did, instead of jumping out to a new page when you need to read more about something, like a classic link, when you click on the link, you would expand in line within the text of the Moz page. So you click on it, and it gives you more info. just pushes down the rest of the article and injects more stuff. Uh, so what happened, this is the key moment. So what happened after that, I copied that same article from Moz, and I put it on the Jean Marketing website without hiding opened um, all the all the hidden elements were opened consistently my version of the article despite it being a duplicate and despite Dijon marketing website having lower uh, authority than the Moz website I kept outranking Moz consistently for many many years so that was uh, the proof that it not only um, impacts the hidden content, the text behind the, the tab, but it also impacts the performance of the overall article. Like if I search for a title, um, user behavior data as a ranking signal, I would see the Jean article version, not the Moz version. Um, then I people say, well, that's not true, mobile first, this, that. So I did a follow-up test in 2018, in, in uh, September. Um, I see the same results. Nothing's changed. And then I write, um, I, I wrote about the hidden content and the dangers of it still back in, in uh, October in, in 2015. Um, culminating at this final article where somebody just popped up and said, oh, is, is it okay to put uh, content in those accordions? And I just had enough. So this question has been asked over and over again. So I just copied a piece of text from the whitehouse.gov put it on my website, didn't hide it, and I outranked that piece 
of content. So the Jean marketing website ranks higher than the whitehouse.gov um, for that piece of content. Of course, it was quote, quote, uh, query for that exact um, uh, string, search string, but it showed that that hidden content will not rank as well. So what I have to um, announce today is that something good has happened finally. Um, and I don't mm -hmm. know when it kicked in. I only randomly looked at these things because I was I was trying to dig up all my uh, dusty old article from 10 years ago so I can bring them up in this conversation. Um, and I found that that article that was published on Moz, if I search for the title now, it will be Moz article that comes up first, not to Dijon. So as it is now the case, this is the, the current state. Overall content will not be pushed down for a page that hides content, but only those elements that are hidden behind the um, uh, hidden element. So those are the those are the little um, little findings and updates that um, I had uh, for you today. So um, I think this provides definitive answer, uh, but also is a sample of one. So what I do is I invite the SEO community to follow up to do something similar and structure their own tests and share the results. So we can all, all join in uh, in discovery and get to the bottom of it so we can recommend SEO solutions to our clients without wondering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Uh, what do you think about uh, uh, publications like Forbes, Bloomberg, uh, they have subscription model. You can see only the beginning of the articles and many websites can steal this content post on their websites so uh, but uh, i see google understands content from forbes and can rank well but i don't know if we, i repost this content on my website or uh, any other related websites to forbes uh, so is it possible to outrank them or not <laughs> yeah i well there's there's two parts to this uh question i guess um one is uh if they're behind paywalls if you hear you see mm -hmm. only a snippet of an article and then the rest of it is yeah. only shown to paid subscribers. Yes. Um, Google has a really strong relationship with publishers and it's a political issue. A couple of years ago, Australia had a very big uh, turmoil, a very uh, sort of turbulent situation with the publishers. It was uh, a big legal action. Uh, they were demanding money from Google for taking their content and this and that. It was a bit ridiculous because Google was providing free traffic to them. And they were they wanted to charge Google per click for people, mm -hmm. um, yeah. for, for Google displaying their, their content in, in the search results or per impression, uh, something ridiculous like that. Just shows the lack of understanding of these, uh, of these publications as to how search actually works and how it benefits users. That said, because of their love for publishers, Google has repeatedly ignored the best thing for the users. When users see an article in the search results, they click on it and they see a paywall. They are frustrated. It provides bad user experience that hit back and they go find something else unless they are subscribed. Um, I've lobbied for Google to add a little label to like a schema uh, or rich snippet that says this is a paid result. And fine, publishers need money. Good journalism is important. 
And so I, I even suggested to Google to um, provide a very easy way for people to subscribe. Pay 10 cents for this article to be read. Subscribe with some sort of Google News premium subscription. And every time you click on an article, uh, you pay five, five, 10 cents. People will do that. And people will also subscribe to premium news with Google and, and open that up. But users must be shown that this is a, um, a click that's not leading to the full content because it's otherwise bad user experience. So going back to the main point is if you hide the content behind a paywall and somebody scrapes the original content and shows it, they will absolutely 100% outrank that. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Uh, but that's, that's a DMCA issue, not really an yeah. SEO problem. That's a copyright infringement. And uh, those scrapers um, will probably be well known to Google because so many of the DMCA requests um, uh, for that particular domain. So they might actually start demoting those types of websites, uh, which I would do if I, if I ran a search engine. Now, the second thing is even if you had um, two websites, and one publishes content as the original, whether they hide it on, or not is besides the point. Um, if you have another website that steals that content, but provides more authority to that page, let's say New York Times published the page in um, uh, 93, and that article is deeply buried somewhere um, in the archives of the New York Times website. If you republish that article, on Reddit today, and it gets to the homepage, and everyone up, upvotes it. Uh, Reddit will absolutely 100% rank first, and the New York Times, as the original publisher, will lose to that um, article as the canonical um, article. Now, it doesn't have to be a super authority website like Reddit. It can be uh, a medium to low authority website for as long as it's higher up on the page hierarchy and for as long as you provide more page rank raw page rank to that to that page it'll outrank even authority website that has buried the page very deeply so in a sense it is hidden but not in visibility but hidden um, in the site hierarchy buried very deep um, like say five six clicks to get to it from the from the home page navigation type thing mm -hmm. if i yeah. can jump in there um yeah and sure like say hello to everybody and that my name's Nick Ranger and I was kind of sitting here um, <laughs> listening into at the moment. But um, yeah, just to kind of tack on to what, what Dan's saying, because uh, I'm a technical SEO, I feel like with publisher paywall co um, content, like there really is a push-pull between discoverability and monetization. Um, Google isn't biased against paywall content. It's just like, um, and I think even like Danny Sullivan tweeted like, like, that their automated systems try to present the best information in relation to the search topic as people expect Google to be able to you know, use them as a searching um, engine. But when it comes to publisher paywall content, you know, it's really important how you actually implement that from a technical perspective. Uh, you can do things like flexible sampling, um, which is in place like a lot of the places. Like you can use... Um, metering which provides users with a quarter of free articles to consume um, after which paywalls might start appearing and i think the guardian has that in place at the moment or you can use lead-in which offers like a portion of an article's content without it being shown in full 
Um, and I think from memory, it's around about you can kind of set the limit anywhere from like 80 um, word article snippets, um, and and that and that's and that's used um, again with a lot of different models out there. There is schema you can be able to have in there. You can have article schema and paywall schema. Um, again, just providing contextual information about the content that is on the page. Um, and that's really, really helpful to, to be able to differentiate payable content from, you know, <laughs> so you're not like, hey, we're not trying to cloak anything here, um, which absolutely mm -hmm. violates Google's guidelines. Um, but there is schema in place, so you can be able to put that there. It really depends about the content quality and the frequency that you're putting up there. Because, uh, again, if you're a news publisher, a lot of the things that you're trying to fight against is relevancy um, and every other publisher out there. So frequency does really play a big part in this. And again, again, whether you do metering or lead-in kind of um, implementation with that strategy, you know, you can then submit to Google News, Google Discover, Google Showcase, all these things that, um, you know, really help discover those, pub those current events, worldwide news, diverse content from different publishers, um, you know, allows people to be able to subscribe to specific news publishers and, and see those topics. Um, and be able to, for them to be able to read that content online or offline, um, and also be able to share, bookmark and share articles, of course, which is ultimately, a, you know, a really big, big important thing for publishers, which is the actual engagement with that content. Um, so again, like there's, there's things you can do when it comes to publisher, con publisher and particularly with paywall. And I think, um, a lot of the time when people go into this, what I see from a technical perspective is none of those things um, with, I, th I think, smaller upcoming publishers, like that's not really well understood. That's not really well communicated um, because there are really, really specific things you have to do. Um, and I worked on a project a couple of years ago where um, none of those things happened and they structured all of their, in, instead of structuring like their whole publisher site around you know, the core topics that they were going after. I think they were going um, and talking about like gold stocks and um, like, you know, investment kind of strategies here, but, you know, from that news perspective and instead of like focusing around the topics, they focus around their authors and that kind of like, there are things you can do. <laughs> nice. And well, in that case, um, it wasn't taken on board. Um, you know, I like, I, I still look at that client and kind of ruminate, um, on, on why their traffic has never really recovered and they've been hit by algorithm update and algorithm update and it, it's just never been able to recover. And it's kind of interesting to reflect on that and be like, you know, there's some really set clear things that we can do in that aspect. So if you're having problems, if you're not actually being able to um, kind of lift off the ground from your search console with, with like, you know, this pitter-patter of clicks, you know, Get a technical SEO. Just go through. Make sure that 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 is that is there and in place. And if not, like, go back, rewind this, and do all those steps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the Guardian. I'm a big fan of their SEO <laughs> of their stuff, uh, and I think they do it well. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not like they have much choice in the current setup. That they get a little bit beggy, like uh, Wikipedia does. Um, and I think I, I think there's. Um, I have a problem with that because the, it affects uh, publishers' dignity to constantly beg for money and donations and things. And I think there's a better way to do that. And I think if publishers worked with Google, 
to align with user experience. Best Google's Google keeps saying do what's best for the user. But they're not doing what's best for the user when it comes to news. They're doing what's best for the publishers. Yeah. And that's not even best for the publishers because um, ironically, what's best for the users is best for the publishers. Um, and I think I think the holy trinity, Google, users and, and the publishers um, need to collaborate together on a user-centric strategy to provide these results. Now, um, flexible sampling, first click free, that, all that sort of stuff. These are these are steps in the right direction, but users really need to be informed. Of, let's say let's say you've you've got um, one click left on an article. Um, that could be a schema. Um, Google has that information. You're logged in as a user, not schema, but um, it, it could be a snippet information, kind of like when Google says um, you visited this page in June 2021, right? You've last visited this page. Now, can they say you have one click remaining on the Guardian website? So I can then go, oh, okay, cool. I, I freely click because I know I can read that one. And then after that, if I want to see a Guardian content, it says you're out of your free clicks. Uh, hit, click here to subscribe. Some money instantly from the search results flows to the publisher. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Um, and it's not much money. People are already paying subscriptions to Netflix. We're used to paying for content, mm -hmm. micropayments through games, content subscriptions, Disney Plus, Netflix, Amazon Prime. Um, and I think people would do this, but there's no will at Google's end, on Google's end, to really do, do what's right. And um, I present my screen now um, to, show, to show what I'm talking about. So I did a survey... Um, two years ago, and I asked I asked people, would labeling paywall in Google's results be useful? This is what users said. <laughs> so majority majority of the users would find a label <coughs> useful to know that that result is behind a, a paywall. And if you don't believe the stats here, I have a full data download that you can it's in a spreadsheet form. <laughs> they can see. Uh, so then I present. The problem, and then I, of course, I, I run into a, an argument with Danny, um, <laughs> who is—he's a very smart guy, and he's trying to get me to understand his point of view. But ultimately, Google is not doing what's best for the users because users have spoken. I've, by the way, I followed up on this survey, and the results are still the same. And it wasn't just mm -hmm. me. It was the other SEO companies and other bloggers who have had this problem. And non-SEOs who published this on, on Reddit and other platforms who are saying the same thing. Paywall results need to be labeled. We need to know. But Google won't do it. So that's just one form of um, hidden content that um, is not our fault. It's Google's fault. Um, <laughs> on, on, a little bit on the other, other side of the spectrum. That's like, yeah. um, like I, I, you know, I completely, you know, hear what you're saying, but I also do understand the perspective from from Google as a company as well. Um, you know, a lot of the time with industry and with change, and, you know, if I remember from reading your study um, about, you know, people don't read your content, um, you know, the amount of, the percentage of, uh, people, I think it was like, what, 16% actually read the full article? Um, and I was like, oh, that's actually a 
That surprised me. It was higher than I thought. 16%. Um, You're a pessimist. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Um, But for somebody who publishes content, right? You, you wrote stuff on the web and you've done webinars and you've appeared and to know that when you publish a a webinar like this, and Atoli, people are not going to watch this. They're going to skip skip through it. (laughs) You know that for a fact, but you get, because you have analytics in YouTube and you can see where people are skipping. Mm. Google itself is um, in search results showing the good parts of the videos. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the whole part about, hey, guys, my name is this and that. Subscribe to my channel. Today we're <laughs> going to be talking about it. Mm-mm. Just skip that minute and go straight to the good part. Google's now showing that in the search results. Mm-hmm. User experience. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so. It's like, oh, <laughs> Google is also recognizing like this. Please like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell for all the updates. They're recognizing that almost as like boilerplate content. <laughs> Google's had enough. Googlebot has had enough of your crap as well, as well as users. <laughs> yeah. I think the best, think the best YouTubers don't do it. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's let's move on. Uh, by the way, Nick, I remember about our podcast because I got a bunch of questions about your performance. Most of them told me, you know, she's young, and, but she can share a lot of valuable insights. So, uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, let's uh, get back to the main topic about technical mm-hmm. aspects. For example, if we uh, hide some content uh, on mobile phone, but we don't hide on the desktop version. Uh, I know that Google is against about that uh, practice. Uh, it's better to show all content, but sometimes we can't submit all content because uh, users, I don't know, they need to scroll uh, for a long time, you know, to get the whole content and they don't need it uh, because uh, on uh, desktop, probably they need on mobile, they don't. So what do you think? Uh, is it a good idea to hide content on mobile or not? It's funny when you say like, you know, difference between mobile and desktop. Um, with mobile first indexing, Google will prefer mobile um, mobile contents because they understand that users there's a massive shift towards from, from people you know coming away from the desktop experience and just sitting on their beds at night like you know just scrolling on the phone. Everyone does it. I do it. And again, from a statistic point of, point of view, I think the search engines realize that that's really the the future and where users are going to be tending to spend a lot more time. Hence you know, the mobile, having things mobile friendly and with the mobile's first indexing, if you've got, if, if you're, um, if the HTML is different to the mobile version to the desktop version, well, very likely that the, the desktop view will be depreciated. It will be taken in place of the mobile one. So when I'm thinking about, when I'm thinking about this, you know, again, kind of in the same way that Dan likes to answer questions, like, you know, I'm answering this in two parts. You first consider the mobile first indexation. Secondly, consider what you're actually showing to users and how you're coding this within the pages. Now, a lot of the things when we're thinking about hidden content and things that are displayed in tabs, again, Google knows that what is the likelihood, what is the statistical likelihood that someone's going to be reading on a page and actually clicking on those tabs and getting more um more contextual information about what is in that like yeah sure like you know they'll do that um and you know they might learn something um you know internally about that you know what people want to click on what people want to use that's completely up to the site owner 
but Google is like, well, we've only got so much crawl budget. <laughs> we've only got mm -hmm. so much time to really care about scrolling, like, you know, crawling through all the content on your page, trying to render it, so then considering things for index and then ranking that so that users can then find and interact and then hopefully convert, blah, 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 right? So they're thinking like, well, I'm not going to take all of that into consideration. Now, when I look at tabbed content, most of the time, unless it's like um, with hashtags and paginated and all, all sorts of things, most of the implementation largely is all JavaScript based. So again, like when anything is hidden by walls of JavaScript, we've got things like, um, you know, Google processes JavaScript by crawling and rendering and indexing. For that, you need to be able to, it needs to, with the processing and preparing that HTML and the resources to render it, it needs to find that resource and those links to those pages or in this in this case um, to the to the content and the files that needed to actually build that page. These are then added to the crawl queue and then they're cached. Then it needs to prioritize and schedule based on that crawl queue. And again, if it's statistically less likely and Google knows this, that users are going to click on to that and it's not there in like a tags or href attributes and it needs to like spend a bit of extra time doing that. Well, it might take like maybe the first sentence, but it won't take all of it. And there was a, there's, um, you know, a client that Dan and I were, were talking to even recently where they put all their really, really important information about um, like all the product information just hidden in these tabs. And what they had in their generic top, uh, generic content was like, oh, like, you know, this is a nice, cool product. We like this, you know, things that are like, you know, oh, that's, that's fun and nice to know, but it's not giving the user any of that, you know, hard qualified information about the product that's going to influence their purchasing decision. All that juicy, you know, well, unique research content is hidden in all these tabs. Now, for, for people listening to this, for people watching this, you can try this right now. Go into one of these tabs if you feel like, you know, this applies to you. You know, maybe scroll through or even, you know, take the top, take anywhere in the bits and pieces. Make sure there's no apostrophes or full stops or anything that might, like, you know, kind of jade the HTML of, of that. And you can just, like, copy out a little bit of section that you think is important. Now, put it in quotation marks. Um, then go site colon your, your website. Does it appear in search results? Yes, no. Most of the time when I'm showing and talking about this with clients, I do this live test with them because it's like, I'm not just saying this because like I want to spend heaps of development resources or like, you know, <laughs> wake up your, your, your designer in the middle of night, be like, we need to redo all the layout pages. It's because of this reason. Like this is really important content that you want not just your users to be able to see, but also search engines consider that when they're considering these pages. So if you're putting in all the time and effort into that, let's just maybe get them out of those tabs and put them onto the page and maybe structure the layout in a way that it's nice, it's easy, it's readable, um, it's, you know, fun for people to see, you know, put it into bullet points, you know, have like nice little like layouts for them, do whatever you need to do. Again, a lot of the time when we think about hidden content and what Dan's talking about was literally taken from that tabbed content. So that's a really, really good test to do. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. uh, from, from that, uh, we can also say um, 
since since Nick touched on Google being able to understand and render JavaScript pages and kind of it's it's 2022 right it's not uh, 2001 <laughs> uh, they hit a JavaScript page they can see the content they understand what the page looks like when it's when it's rendered um, so with that fact plus another fact that Google now have the page fragment URLs you can copy a piece of text from a page copy and then a, uh, get a link from that text piece only so when you send it to a friend they jump straight to that sentence in the middle of that page <laughs> right so the technology is there chrome can do this um <clears throat> so if we if we marry the ability of google to parse javascript and understand the content and the the ability to uh to get to the content fragments we can then see how easy it would be for google to at least attempt to, from search results, send a user directly. Let's say somebody searches for blue widgets in search results, but blue widgets is hidden behind the tab. Now, you, that's a search query. Now we see a snippet. We click on a snippet, and user is taken to the tab that automatically opens or an accordion that expands, and user, user is then shown that part of the page that mentions that query that's relevant to their search. Google can do this. They don't. Mm -hmm. but they can do this. And I'm sure somebody in Google Ads is experimenting with this. And I'm sure that <laughs> because I'm sure there are mistakes and errors and it looks a bit alpha and beta still. They haven't rolled it out. But I'm sure they have this ability. And I would love to see that in the future because that would be good user experience where user is taken from search results directly to the tab or an accordion that expands and shows them that piece of content that's relevant to them at that time. Um, and so that would be on my wish list for 2023, four, <laughs> let's be realistic, okay. maybe five. Um, now the, I'm going back to your exact question. Um, I, I'm not in favor of mobile first. I, I think that's a stupid idea. There are a lot of users who are on desktop and there are users who search on desktop for certain queries. I do desktop for serious research and I do mobile for casual stuff, right? So how simple is it to show desktop first to desktop users in results and mobile first to mobile users in results? So how should a website be evaluated and ranked depends on the user first uh, philosophy. If I agree I'm with searching... you in an infinite crawl set, in an infinite crawl world. <laughs> Google's like, yeah, we'll spend all this money. We'll just have, you know, two, you know, you know, two whole subsets. I mean, that would be great, but. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, if, if um, th th there's, there's a, there's number, any number of reasons for this, but like I said, one, and it's a big one is that certain not just certain types of people or certain types of situations, but certain types of queries, really not suitable for mobile. You need a desktop to, to perform a certain number of queries. Um, and to show the best user experience, you evaluate the website for ranking purposes and user experience um, as it was indexed, crawls in, crawled, indexed, and ranked um, for the device that the user is going to consume it on, whether it be mobile or desktop, but it has to be consistent 
Um, I don't think it's good user experience to rank the website on the basis of user experience on the mobile, showing it to the user that's on a desktop machine. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, again, so simple, but I guess it is, it is what it is. We could yeah, argue about that for a very long time. Okay. Uh, can you give your tip what to do? For example, do we need webmasters to hide content or it's better to avoid as Google uh, uh, usually shares that uh, you don't need to hide content. It's better to show the whole content. Your advice, what to do today? Content expensive. Like good, good content is really expensive. So would you, would you buy like um, a really expensive suit? and never wear it keep it in your wardrobe would you buy would you buy a fancy car (laughs) would you would you buy a fancy car and never take it for a drive i think i think you see where i'm getting at here if you Hmm. if you had a product on your e-commerce website and you wrote this fantastic description that goes in depth into product and you reviewed its features and you spin it around in 3d and you show all its facets and you have user reviews on it if you had all that gold, why in the world would you hide it from the users? And I know mm-hmm. the answer. The answer is conversion rate optimization, right? <laughs> uh, people, there's a myth. There's a myth that people um, need to minimize the amount of information on a product page to improve its conversion. So it's all funneling down to, but that's not true. If you actually record, user sessions on a typical e-commerce website, you will notice that they will go on, a, go on a product and they'll scroll down looking for user reviews. They'll click away into tabs and things. Well, it depends. It depends on what stage of the journey they are in. If they've, if they've researched anything and they just, they just go to buy, then that's a different story. But if they need a little bit more convincing, and there's a lot of big, big segment of the user base, if they need convincing research, let's say I'm buying a complicated machine. Uh, let's say one, one of the big things that I bought recently was a Snapmaker. It's a CNC machine, laser cutter, laser engraver, and a 3D machine in one package. Does it have a rotary module that I can buy for it so it can carve in a, in a fourth axis, like 4D? No idea. So I'm ready to buy the machine, but this one thought comes to my mind and I don't know. So now I'm embedding my, my purchasing process and I'm fishing around for this other information. I can't find it on the page. So I'm going to the forum, I'm reading, I'm getting lost and I'm now on another website. Ah, it's too hard. So I bookmark the page, I'll come back to it later. What if I never come back to it? What if they've just um, lost a sale because all the information is not in there? So my advice to webmaster is if it's important, don't hide it. If a page is, um, if the piece of content is really high quality, really important, has the ability to impact the purchasing decision or conversion decision, um, then show it. Types of content that um, you can safely hide away is anything we call as uh, boilerplate. Shipping policies, guarantees, return, return policies, this and that, type of content that appears on every page of your, of your um, on every product, for example, on every page of your content. Those types of things are safe. 
um, or anything that has an overwhelming amount of detail. Sometimes it makes sense to hide a very large table um, that provides a, 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 like a sheet of specifications for a complex product. That makes sense to hide, but then you need to provide the means from within the main body of the article, that high quality content to click some sort of hyperlink to open up, to jump to that information. You need to make it known that that tab exists. Um, otherwise, you, you could you could lose a valuable sale. So my advice is very simple. Important things you don't hide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. love it, love it. Okay, guys, I have the final question. Uh, you know, uh, I have a lot of students uh, in my audience and they often ask me how to be an expert in one day. Uh, can you lead them in the right direction? Tell how to learn SEO today? Uh, because uh, many of them tell that SEO is that it's a good idea to jump on this field today. What do you think about that? Uh, just brief uh, points, uh, then and Nick. <laughs> Look, um, I'm going to yeah, jump in here because, um, you know, Dan's got 20 years of experience. You know, I've got nearly the better part of 10. Um, what I see as a common denominator is all about you and your mindset. SEO, search engine optimization, is a wonderful, wonderful career. Um, it's one that like, I'm just endlessly fascinated with and like for the first time in my life, like, you know, the curiosity is the forger of the pathway that is defining my career and my life. And that's wonderful. That's exciting. It's not dictated by money, although money comes as like a really nice natural byproduct of, of, uh, of that, which is nice, but it's the curiosity and it's the, the idea that having like something like a growth mindset of seeing new challenging things, constantly changing algorithms um, and seeing that as a fun challenge and seeing that as something that is exciting because you see the boundary of your understanding of where you, of how you, un, of how you learn and, and seeing that as like, well, this isn't scary. This is exciting. <laughs> and I think if, if um, you take that really simple concept and think about how you approach new things um, and try and really take that in and to be excited about that. It doesn't matter what you apply yourself to. If you have that, that is going to be the best tool that you can, that you can forge. There is so much art. There's so much resources out there on the web. You know, we're talking to people like us um, where you can sort of kind of like, you know, find, tactical information so you can kind of like you know take these things away and think oh okay like you know these are some good tools I can use like I'll put them in the basket and I'll collect it but if you're constantly going out there and trying to get those quick wins or things that are just going to like you know transform your your um you know it, you're just looking for that consistent praise or that consistent like you know um little nugget of oh yeah like you know this is good this is good but you're not really like taking something away in that and being excited that I've learned something new that I didn't know before um and to be comfortable with your vulnerability of saying I don't know this can I like tell me like teach me or you know how do I even approach thinking about this because I've read all these interesting things and 
like this is great and it makes sense and I'm, I'll try and reiterate it to you, but I don't understand it. Like if you can approach it from that perspective, you're going to be fine in any aspect of your life, in any aspect, but particularly with SEO, you have to be constantly curious. So start nice. there. Love it, love it. You know, uh, Nick, I, I like how you think about that, you know, <laughs> your energy, your passion. Uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, uh, I, I can, you know, when you explain about that, uh, I remember my son when he explains me about a new game, you know, uh, it's unpredictable, he doesn't <laughs> know how to play, but he plays because of these uh, things that might happen. Mm -hmm. It's the same with Google updates. Yeah, uh, it, it scares, but uh, yeah, it's a new journey. And if you uh, adapt faster than your competitors, so you can you can overcome them. Mm -hmm. Love it. No, yeah, love your energy. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a technical yeah. SEO and I'm not a developer. <laughs> you know, in, in some worlds, like those things don't make sense, but they do in this context. And there's many other technical SEOs out there in the world that are very proficient and very successful all because from my perspective, they have this similar trait, which is like, yes, it is perceived to be difficult. It is very difficult to understand, particularly when you don't have a development background, but you know what you're looking for. You know what the concepts are. And it's exciting to start to chip away in your mind, like how this whole world starts to, to weave together. And that's the thing. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. Yeah. Your tip, your tip, uh, tell our audience if someone want to write articles for Moss, argue with Dan Sullivan and many other stuff, how to achieve, how to achieve it. Be, be ready to receive a penalty from Google every now and then, <laughs> like I did. Uh, so that, that'll be part of my, uh, let's, let's, let's have three tips. First one is, I guess aligning with uh, Nick said, there are no stupid questions. Don't be afraid to ask. Just keep asking mm. questions. Uh, doesn't matter. Um, the second one is it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to make mistakes and break stuff. I still make mistakes and I still am wrong, um, even in front of my clients. And I tell my clients when I'm wrong and, and I tell them why I was wrong and what I've learned from that. They love it. They love the openness. Um, so never stop being wrong because if you're constantly right, I don't think you're pushing boundaries enough. So number three, stop watching Anatoly's podcast. Stop reading Dan's blog. Stop reading Moz. <laughs> Roll up your sleeves and do stuff. You're not yeah. going to learn things by reading and, and, and uh, watching what other people have done and uh, are doing. You have to really... If you're just really new in SEO, um, get a start a blog, start an e-commerce website, sell a few things, get an experience of how it really feels like. Be the client. Mm -hmm. If you're an SEO who's never sold anything online or, or hasn't had a business, it's very abstract. If you set up a tiny little shop and you're selling one or two products, oh my god. How do you source the product? How do you say getting the reviews, the stress of shipping it? Um, getting it, getting it to the real point, do stuff, set up a blog, set up a small shopping cart, have an experience. Guess what? If you, you, you'll break things, you make mistakes, you'll learn on it. You have one thing, one first thing to put on your resume. And that gets you the From real that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't 
Oh man, that's just. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I'm just remembering, I put up a shop on Squarespace, and <laughs> anyway, go for it. I agree. I agree. It was a wonderful learning experience all those years ago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. Because doing is more important than learning. You know, uh, it's like to read a hundred books, how to play soccer. If you don't play. You, you can't be good player, you know, no. it's the same with that. So, uh, guys, I don't, uh, my recommendation is to follow them and Nick to learn from them. But uh, when you learn, just do uh, what they recommend, what they implement, because uh, nobody knows what actually works for you. It depends. But when you learn something like 20% of time that I usually do, I read uh, books, uh, listen to audio podcasts just 20% of my time and 80% of my time I implement uh, and uh, test all this stuff and search for something that works for me. So you can find ideas from Dan and Nick, follow them on social media. By the way, tell our audience how they can reach out to you, learn more about you, follow you. At Dejan SEO, Twitter. Okay, guys, you, you can find uh, the link uh, to the website, to social media. Uh, listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again, guys, for your time. You know, it's a big pleasure. Welcome back anytime to share more valuable insights. This. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you watch, you can see uh, Twitter from Nick, uh, but uh, you can find it in the description. Okay, guys, love you. See you. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.